Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast, a place where we believe you can be equipped to conquer any obstacle in life through the power of God's Word. We have a mission and believe that whatever problem you might be facing, God has a word that can lift you out of your trouble. Now, here's your host, Preston Shuttlesworth. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. So glad you're back with me, joining me for yet another episode of the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast. And i um, really happy you're here. And I wanted to say a thank you to all my continued listeners, people that tune in every time an episode drops. You guys are awesome, and I can't thank you guys enough for uh, listening and sticking around. And today's going to be a great day because um, I felt to deal with something that's been on my spirit this this week, which is how to keep what God gives you, or I think I entitled it, how to never lose what God gives you. Because a lot of times what happens is people have an experience with God. People get a miracle from God. God does something for them. He heals their body. He saves their soul. He frees them from anxiety or depression or or fear or some sort of mental thing. And God does something for them that's miraculous and that's real. But because that person doesn't have biblical teaching on how to keep what God gives them, they lose it. Because God, in his nature, wants to give us things. But in return, he expects us to be good stewards of the gifts and the things that he gives. And so for us, there's a responsibility to learn how to keep what God gives so that the thing that he does give doesn't become wasted or thrown away or stolen by the enemy. You know, you can think of the parable of the seed and the sower and how Jesus said the seed was the word and that the sower went to sow the seed of the word. And what happened was there was different things that happened. A bird came and stole one of the seeds. The sun scorched uh, one of the seeds and burned it up. One uh, was killed by the weeds and was choked out because of the weeds. And then one was planted on soil that was good and it actually produced something good. So a lot of times what happens is people receive the seed of the word or they receive what God has, but the enemy comes after it's given to try to steal, kill, and destroy the seed of the word that's been planted. But I want to show you from the Bible today how that can never be your story. Because God doesn't just want to give you things. He wants you to have the knowledge from his word to understand how to keep what he gives you. And not only keep what he gives you, but multiply what he gives you. Because God's not content with us just keeping what he gives us. And then it just stays that and it never moves. And it's just, you know, you hide it and you hoard it and you keep it for yourself. No, God wants for you to multiply what he gives. That's why in the parable of the servants and the master and the talents that were given, that God was displeased with the servant that went and hid his talent in the ground. And then when it was time to go see the the master again, the servant went and got that talent and just brought it back to the master because he was afraid to do anything with it. The Bible says the master was displeased with how that servant or that steward responded to the seed or the gift or the talent that was given to him. And he said, take what he has and give it to the servant that multiplied 
his talent the most. So from that parable that Jesus taught, we can understand something about God's nature, that God expects productivity, God expects fruitfulness, and that God expects multiplication in your life. So in this episode of the podcast, I want to show you how to not lose what God gives you. You know, I'm not going to so much hit into the multiplication aspect, but I just want to show you how you can guard what God gives you because... You know, just because you guard something doesn't mean you're afraid. You know, you don't have to, you know, some people think, well, I can just not guard or protect what God gives me and it will be fine, you know, but you actually first have to guard what God gives you before you can multiply because how can you multiply something that is open to attack or open to being stolen by the devil? You have to first close off that openness that the devil might have so that he has no foothold, he has no entryway, there's no way for the devil to steal what you have, and then when that is established, now you can multiply what God gives you. So first I want to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to read one verse, and I want to show you something about life in general, and show you something about spiritual things. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, it's the verse right after Paul's teaching about the armor of God, you know, put on the armor of God and all of that. So verse 12, the Bible says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, ESV says, or spiritual powers, other translations will say, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I wanted to read you that verse because I want to show you that life isn't just about what you see. You know, our enemy and the things that we face isn't just a person that you can see physically. You know, it's not just like an army that you can see in the natural realm. But there's a conflict in the spiritual realm and that we're actually at war and at conflict with authorities and rulers in dark places and principalities of evilness. And so there's a, something going on called a spiritual warfare. And so God is a spirit, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. So that means that if God's a spirit and our enemy's a spirit, and that we also possess a spirit, that must mean that we need to learn spiritual warfare tactics to understand how we can overcome the devil and how we can guard and keep what God gives us. But a lot of times what happens is people, like I said, they receive a miracle, but they have no spiritual teaching or understanding or weapons or tools that are, have been given to them so that they can fight the enemy. But thankfully, God has given us weapons. And the, and the way that God reveals you know, the things that he's given to us is by his word. Because the Bible says that in the word that we have weapons of warfare, that we can fight the enemy with. And it's not physical weapons. It's not an actual sword. It's not an actual gun. But God gives us weapons and he lays out the weapons in our arsenal in the word of God. And one of those key weapons, I would say maybe even the most important weapon, is something called faith. Faith is a weapon. You know, faith isn't just something, you know, I don't know how your background was or where you grew up, but a lot of times people give you this perception that faith is just, you know, 
When life goes bad, you just got to have faith and eventually you'll get through things and one day it will be worth it and one day when we get to heaven, everything will be okay. And, you know, people have this perception of faith that faith is just patience to endure a beating from the enemy and from life until one day you finally get to go to heaven and experience real life and experience really good things. But that's not the Bible. The Bible teaches that you can bring heaven down to earth and that you can experience good things while you're on the earth and experience constant victory, dominion, and authority and not have to deal with things that other people deal with. That you don't have to be sick. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be troubled and tormented in your mind and have to take anxiety medication and antidepressants and all of these things that are you know, really attacking a generation, but you can be someone that's distinctively, markedly different from the earth because you have a weapon called faith. And not only do you have a weapon called faith, but you're learning and you're training and you're practicing how to use your weapon. You know, if I just gave some random person a sword, it might be able to do some damage in a fight. But if I gave that same sword to someone that's trained in hand-to-hand combat or trained in sword techniques and knows how to do all the moves and parry and, and do all the things that people that actually sword fight do, that weapon will be much more dangerous in the hands of that trained swordsman than in the hands of some random person that you gave it. You know, it still might serve as some sort of use of a weapon to that person that has no training, but it will be much more effective in the hands of someone that's trained with the weapon and knows what the weapon is capable of. The same thing is true in faith, that everyone, the Bible says, has been given a measure of faith. But just because you receive a measure of faith doesn't mean that your faith needs to stay right where that is, but your faith needs to be ever increasing and always going to new levels. That's God's intention with our faith. Faith should not be staying the same. Faith should not be, you know, not producing something. You know, you think of Jesus when he walked past the fig tree in the Gospels, and the Bible says he cursed the fig tree in front of his disciples, and he said that no one will be able to eat fruit from you again as he walked by it. And the next day, the disciples and Jesus are walking by that same tree, and this time when they see it, they see that it's it's rotted away and it's died because of the word of Jesus that it wouldn't produce. And the reason that Jesus cursed it was because the fig tree wasn't producing fruit in the season that it was supposed to produce fruit. So a lot of times what happens in the life of a believer is they get saved, they learn th- some things, but they never stop, pr- they never uh, keep pursuing what God has for them and they never continue to increase in everything that God wants for them. But they get content, they get lazy, they get apathetic, they become jaded to the things of God. And that's why you see people that have been in church for 50, 60 years, but their life has never really changed from the first year they got saved because they were content with something that was really little in the comparison and the overall picture of what God wanted to do. And a lot of people miss out, hear me, a lot of people miss out on what God really wants to do in their life because they become content and they believe the lie of the enemy, the devil, that says, this is all you'll ever have and you'll never go anywhere else in God. But I want you to know today 
that that is not how faith speaks because trust me, faith speaks a certain way. Faith has a confession and the confession of faith is always more. It's always increase. It's always overflow, abundance, new horizons, open doors, things happening that never happened before. That's what faith does because the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not yet seen and the substance of things hoped for. So if that's true, that means faith can speak into existence things that don't even exist yet, things that don't even make sense in your natural mind. But that's exactly how faith operates because the Bible says it. But here's something I want you to write down if you take notes during these podcasts because it's a, a key point to this this episode of this podcast. That faith placed in unshakable things is unshakable. Faith placed in unshakable things is unshakable. So don't place your faith in things that change, lie, or can be removed. But place your faith in things that are eternal and will never change. You know, that's why the Bible stresses the point that God in his nature is unchangeable. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. You know, the Bible says in James 1.17, I, you know, I quote these scriptures all the time because I want you to understand this about God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Here's the key part of the verse. For whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Basically what that means is that every good and perfect gift, yes, comes down from God, but also a key point about God is that there's no variableness within him, that he's not going to change his mind and flip the script on you, and that one day a promise is true, and then the next day it's not true. But God's promises are always yes and amen to the believer. So that's why we choose to place our faith in things that are unshakable. That's why our faith is built on a foundation that is not movable by things that occur in the earth. But the problem that people make is they lose what God gives them because in some way they shifted their faith from the word of God and God himself, things that are unmovable, and they place their faith in something temporary and something shallow. And what happens is when you place your faith in something temporary and something in the, in the natural realm or something that can be changed or place it in another person, someone that can lie, someone that can turn their back on you and change the, you know, the, you know, the covenant that they make with you. The problem that happens there is that when you place your faith in something temporary, your life becomes a roller coaster of you never know when things are going to go good. You never know when things are going to go bad. You have no firm foundation to stand on and say, this is what I believe and this is what I'll have. But faith, real biblical founded faith is something that's unmovable and will never change and will always produce the right result. And today, that's the kind of faith I want you to possess because I want you to understand, secondly, that your confession is key because without a right confession of faith, you'll never have the right things. So another problem and another way that people lose what God gives them is that they're always confessing negative things. They're always confessing doubt and unbelief and fear. And as soon as you allow your confession to become something that's negative, you'll have exactly what you say. 
And I want you to see that the Bible says that the power of life and death is in your tongue. Not just the power of life and not just the power of death, but the power of life and death is in the same tongue. So it's up to your will and your choice to decide what are you going to confess by faith. Because confession is the key that unlocks your faith. You know, faith when it's founded in the word of God and you just can repeat what God said, it will always produce what it says. That's why the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that the word of God, when it's sent forth, it cannot return to God or you and I empty or void, but it must accomplish the thing that it was sent to do. God's word, when it's spoken by faith, must produce what it's sent to do. Preston, how can you connect faith and the word? Where are you making that connection? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So you can't have faith without the word of God because faith is born and produced by the preaching and the reading and the receiving and believing of the word of God. And without the word of God, you can't possess faith. So that's where the connection is between faith and the word of God. And when the, your confession becomes the word of God, you'll have exactly what you, you'll say. You'll produce life in situations that are dead. You'll produce good things in situations that are not going the way they should. But the issue is that even though that's true, Christians have this you know, this pattern of that whatever's going on in the natural realm, that whatever's going on around them, they allow their confession to be dictated by natural circumstance and things that occur in the natural realm. But that is not faith. You know, a lot of people, a lot more people, I should say, believed in divine healing before the coronavirus came to the United States and spread around the world. You know, a lot of people had this belief that God's a healer and that no matter what, you know, we're going to stand strong and we're not going to shut down and blah, 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 blah. And their talk was real good. Their confession was real, really good until an obstacle and a giant and a mountain arose in their way. And as soon as they saw the obstacle in the natural realm, then their confession confession began to conform to the image of the problem. But that is not the Bible because the Bible says, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind? The Bible says you can wash your mind with the water of the word. Hallelujah. So how do I renew my mind? How do I renew my confession on a daily basis and always have something positive to say? Always have something that stems from the word of God. I renew my mind by the word and the word refreshes and renews and restores my mind so that my confession can line up with what God's word already says. So how do you not lose what God's given you? How do you not lose and allow the enemy to steal what God's put in your possession? You have to have a weapon called faith. And that weapon of faith is born and produced from the word. And the word must become your confession. Because without a confession, you don't have a response to the enemy. You know, you think of it like in a natural sense, like if you were in a courtroom, you know, they, they need something called confessions or testimonies. And if you don't have 
those things, then they have a really hard time putting a case together to convict someone and bring justice to a situation. So what happens is if your confession changes, they can't really believe either confession. Because if you were to testify in a courtroom and give a confession of one account of how something happened, and then the next day you come in with a completely different confession of an account of how something happened, now you've put the judge and the jury in a very awkward situation because they don't know what's the truth and what's not the truth. Because you change your confession when you are under the pressure of a problem. And what happens is in Christianity, hear me, and what's happening right now in the earth, in the modern church, is that the confession of the people is changing based upon the circumstance and the problem that exists. That before, they might have believed in divine healing. They might believe that the church should never close for any reason and that we should rather obey God rather than man's authority and things like that. But as soon as the problem rose up, as soon as the mountain and the giant stood in front of them, they ran to Romans 13 to misinterpret something that Paul said about how we should comply to government and bow and shut the church down and not preach the gospel to our people. You know, it's really easy to have faith and believe the word of God when you're under no backlash, when you're under no, you know, someone actually coming up against you and presenting a problem or a giant before you. It's really easy to walk out this thing and be like, well, I believe it, you know, because things are good and the sun's still shining and my family's okay and everything that I care about's okay in the natural realm. So yeah, I'll believe what you say. That's really easy. But when actual things occur that are problems, things that arise, that'll actually make you second guess and be like, whoa, what's going on? Your faith should not be moved by that. But what's happened in the modern church is the confession of the people has been conformed to the image of the world. What's the world worried about? What's on the news today? What's the newest report from the CDC? What's going on? And people become so concerned with what's going on in the natural realm that they bend and they bow to something called fear that the devil uses as a tactic to steal the word of God from people and to steal what he's given them. But I want you to know that the fear that comes from the enemy is born out of a lie. That's why David wasn't afraid of Goliath because even though Goliath had a big mouth and he was nine feet tall and was, you know, trained to be a soldier all his life, David had a revelation about something very important about the battle, that God is on my side and he is against you, Goliath, and he is against your army. David had the revelation that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, that when Samuel poured the horn of oil upon my head, I received the anointing and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon me. So now I have the answer for the issue that exists in the world. Now I have a response to the devil. Now I have the weapon that can overcome the evil one and it's faith. And no longer can the devil and the enemy steal what God's given me, but it belongs to me. And I am already a conqueror through him who conquered everything else. And I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to change my confession based upon the circumstances that exist in the world. But I hold fast to my confession because I believe it to be true by faith. 
But what happens is people change their confession and they nullify the word and they destroy their faith. And without faith, you cannot please God. Without faith, God cannot intervene in your situation. Faith is what provokes the hand of God. Faith is what makes God say, you know what, I'm going to you know, turn my eye to this person, put my hand upon their life and help them out of the problem that they're facing. But it only comes from faith. I want to go to Luke chapter 10 because I want to connect this for you. Luke chapter 10. And I'm again just going to read one verse, verse 19 of Luke chapter 10. The Bible says this in verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Hallelujah. I love that. Behold, all power has been given unto you that you can tread upon serpents and scorpions, representations of evil things that are in the world, evil spirits, the devil even himself. You now have received power over all the, the power of the devil and all the power of the earth and all the power of evil spirits. So why are Christians afraid? Why do Christians back down? Why do Christians allow the devil to reach his hand in and steal what God's given? It's not right. We have the authority over the devil. We have the answer for the world. And it's time for young people more than ever before to get the revelation that God has anointed me and has empowered me to be a powerful force on the earth to push back the kingdom of hell and advance the kingdom of God and take ground for him. That's who you're anointed to be. That's who you have faith to be. It already belongs to you. But now the question becomes, do you believe that you have the power that the Bible says you have? Because I can read you scripture after scripture. I can go through story after story. I can recount testimony after testimony of things that have occurred in my life, in the life of my family. And I can really show you that we have the power that any time the devil tries to rear his head and run his mouth against God's people, against God's chosen ones, chosen one, and against the anointed, that God and his power overcomes the devil every single time. And not only does that power exist in heaven, but that power has been transmitted and given to the church of Jesus Christ, where now behold, he's given us power over all the influence and power of the devil and the enemies of God, that now we can tread upon scorpions and serpents and nothing shall by any means harm us. Hallelujah. That means coronavirus can't harm us because we have authority over every evil thing, over everything that would try to raise itself up and attack the church of Jesus Christ. For behold, the gates of hell shall not prevail against this truth, the truth that Jesus is the head of the church and he's empowered us, his body, to do what he did while he was on the earth. That will not change. It doesn't change based upon a new strain of virus. It doesn't change based upon if every single church leader and 
pastor and everybody else doesn't believe it's true, it will forever be true. And it will forever be activated by those that have faith to see it come to pass in their life. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. Again, I'm just going to read one more verse. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Very famous verse. I might, might, maybe should have just quoted it to you. But in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, the Bible talks about something called testimony. And it talks about how we overcome, overcome evil. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. The Bible says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of, the, of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So I want you to see that the Bible says, first of all, it doesn't say that one day we will overcome. It doesn't say that in, you know, a thousand years or when Jesus comes back or when things are really right, then we'll overcome. It says they have overcome, meaning it's past tense, meaning the victory already belongs to us. Why? Because we overcome. One, by the blood of the Lamb, by the sacrifice and the crucifixion of Christ Jesus, of Him living a sinless life, of Him being tempted in every way, such as we, yet sinning not, becoming the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish, and shedding His perfect blood on the cross, where Jesus said, it is finished. And when He said that, He meant it, that what the devil had planned for our lives, what you know, what the devil wanted for us to encounter, that death and destruction and all these evil things that he wanted us to experience, Jesus said, game over. It is finished. And on the cross, all of those things were destroyed by the power of the blood of Jesus. That's number one. But secondly, we have overcome by the word of our testimony. Why? Because you have to speak and believe that what Jesus did, he did for you. You know, even if Jesus, which he did, if he overcomes every evil thing and gives you access to every good thing, if he came, which he did, to make you an overcomer, to change the very nature of who you are, to make you a new creature in him, to give you new authority, to give you a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, which he did, give you access to that spirit. And that spirit now lives in you. All of those things might be true, and they are true. But if you don't have faith by the word to confess that they're yours and allow it to become your testimony in the core of life, then you'll never experience what God has for you. And even if you've received it for a little while, you've opened up a door for the enemy to steal what God wanted you to have forever. But that will not be your testimony in Jesus' name, but you'll have the testimony that not only did Jesus set you free, not only did Jesus give you access to every good thing in life and redeem you from every evil thing that the devil wanted you to experience, not only did Jesus reverse the curse, but he made it permanent, that he closed the door on the devil for you, and you believe by faith that the devil has no access point to you, that you have received the covenant of the blood of Jesus and by confession of your mouth have made it so that he can no longer have access to you. You have to keep confessing it because if you allow the devil to steal your confession of faith, you allow him to steal the word from your heart. 
because faith, like I said, Romans 10, 17, comes by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But until you allow that to become your story, until you allow that to be the reason why you can no longer be up for grabs and have the devil have access to you, you open yourself up to having the word that God gives you being stolen and being destroyed. But that will not be your story. But by a confession of faith, you'll always possess what God has for you and you'll never allow anyone to take it from you. You know, in times like this, it's important to have faith in something that's unmovable and unshakable. You know, go, go to Matthew chapter 7 because I want to show you something that Jesus taught that will help you concerning this, concerning building your life on something eternal, concerning having your faith built on something that's unchangeable and unmovable. Matthew chapter 7 in verse 24, the Bible says this, everyone, this is Jesus speaking, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Hallelujah. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words, notice he's talking about words again, because that's where faith comes. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about, you know, issues in life, things that arise in life, floods and, you know, things unexpected that come to try to take you out. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here's what I want you to understand. Another key point from this podcast episode is that life presents to you, in a sense, two wills or two documents or two contracts. And these two contracts are labeled life and death. Life and death. And until you make a decision to say, I'm going to sign my name on the bottom of the contract that says life. Where am I getting life from? Well, Jesus said the words that I speak to you, they are life and they are spirit. So this is where the word of God, what it brings into your life, it doesn't bring death, but Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This is what Jesus spoke of. So in life, you have two contracts set before you, life and death. And at the bottom is an empty space for you to sign your name. And the, and the place where you sign your name is what you'll possess. And the details of the contract of what it says will be yours will be yours when you sign your name at the bottom 
of that contract. This is what Jesus was speaking of. He said, there's two responses to the words that I speak. You can believe them and build your life upon my words, and you will be like a wise man that built your house upon a rock foundation, that when the winds and the waves of life came, when obstacles came, when things from the enemy came, all these things come, you do not move because your house is built upon the rock, a foundation that's immovable because you built your house upon the words of Jesus because you were wise. Or you can be like the foolish man that he heard the words of Jesus, but he did not believe them and he did not put them into practice. And he was a foolish man that built his house upon the sand, that when the winds and the waves of life came, great was the fall of the house because you signed your name at the bottom of the contract labeled death. And everything that's within that contract now comes to you. But that will not be your story because you will sign your name upon the contract labeled life. And that's where your name will be written. And the confession of your faith will make it so. Because you've built your hope and built your life and built your future on something eternal, on something immovable, on something unshakable, on something that can't be changed based on outward circumstance and natural situation. You've built your hope on something that will never be moved. For as long as the earth remaineth, there shall be seed time and harvest. For as long as the earth endureth, for as long as there is anything existing, God's promise to produce something good in your life shall be yours. For the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So how do you keep what God gives you? How do you allow, how do you not allow the enemy to come in and steal what God's given you? You have a confession of faith and you say, life belongs to me and everything within this book of life, every single promise, every single uh, benefit and gift that God's given me by his word, it belongs to me because I've signed my name on the dotted line, and it belongs to me. You know, David said this in Psalm chapter 103, verses 2 to 3. He said, forget not one of his many benefits, who forgives all your sins or iniquities, who heals all your diseases. You know, people hear this kind of teaching, and they'll say, well, that's selfish to think that way, that God will do all those things and that God's Santa Claus. Let me tell you something. God's better than Santa Claus because he doesn't come once a year on December 25th. Every single day, his mercies are new every morning. I don't have to wait till Christmas morning. His mercies are new every morning. It's Christmas every day. Well, God's not Santa. You can't just ask. Yes, I can ask what I will. Jesus said, ask what you will, and if you believe that you receive it, it shall be yours. That's what Jesus taught. You know, religious people don't know the Bible. They don't even know what Jesus really said. They quote half scriptures. You know, brother, Bible says in this world you'll have trials and tribulations. That's what Jesus said. Yeah, Jesus did say that. But read the second half of the verse. 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations and persecutions, comma, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You know, brother, Bible says many are affliction, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Bible does say that. But again, people quote half scriptures because they don't know the Bible. They just know tradition and pain and religious bondage. Quote the second half of the scripture. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, comma, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Them all, not 90% of the problem, not 90% of the affliction, all of the affliction. That's the scripture. So I will forget not one of the Lord's many benefits. He forgives me of my sin. He heals me of my disease. He blesses me in my finances. He makes me the head and not the tail. He promotes me at every turn. He opens doors of opportunity for me. He makes a way where there is no way. He's the God who fills my cup, not to the full, but to overflow. He's the God of more than enough. He's El Shaddai. That's who God is. I know who God is because I know his word. And his word reveals his will to me. Don't forget the terms of your contract or your covenant. You know, don't be like a lot of Christians who they get in this place where they tell all their problems to all their friends. And every time something bad happens, they call up, you know, whoever it is, someone they like to just complain to. They call up their pastor even maybe. And they say, oh, pastor, blah, 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 this is going wrong. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this month. And they just speak doubt and they speak death and they speak unbelief over their entire life. And they wonder why their life is this, just, this cycle of problems and pain and chaos and destruction. I'll tell you why. Because your confession is bringing into reality what you've spoken. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Don't cast your cares upon people. Don't cast your cares upon hotlines or whatever people call or whatever people do. Don't write letters of all your problems and all your issues to people. You know, brother... You know, you go to church services, full gospel church services, and after the service, there's 17 people wanting to talk to the pastor about what, what, about what went wrong that week. What's going on, man? Doesn't, the Bible doesn't say cast all your cares upon your pastor. Cast all your cares upon him, the Lord, God, for he cares for you. You know, your pastor loves you. I'm not saying he doesn't love you and doesn't care about you. But your pastor, or any other person for that matter, will never be able to care for you the way that God cares for you. So don't make your confession of all this stuff, you know, all your problems and all your issues, you're just talking to everybody. Oh, you know, you know, I'll ask somebody, you know, how are you doing? Oh, brother, just hanging in there. Life's beating me up and... Blah, blah, blah. You can just tell in the tone of their voice that they're religious and they don't know what they're doing. I'll tell you what they're doing. Not only are they glorifying the devil by listing everything he's done successfully in their life, but they're creating a cycle for him to do it again. 
because your words are seeds. That's what the Bible said. Bible says in the parable, the seed is the word. I know it's referring to Jesus being the seed, but your words are seeds. You know, lowercase s, not capital S like Jesus is. But what you speak will produce what you say. By your words you are justified, and by your words you are condemned. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. James taught on it. The tongue is an unruly evil. Who can tame it? What are you speaking? What are you allowing to gain entrance into your life? Because you give it access by speaking about it all the time. Who are you telling all your problems to? You know, I would even bring this into like, you know, you can talk about things like this, like with your, your wife and stuff. But even then there's a line of like, hey, you don't have to just like tell me everything that's wrong all the time and always have a complaint and always have a worry and a doubt. Pray, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. You know, a husband should care for their wife and a wife should care for her husband. But if it gets to a point where your spouse is becoming your God because you talk about things that trouble you more to them than you pray, there's an issue, a big issue. Because your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your best friend, I don't care who it is, they will never be able to care about you like God cares about you right now. Ever. Ever. You know, you think of Matthew 7 in the earlier part of the scripture, not where I read, but where Jesus asked the question, he says, you know, if you had a child and he asked you for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone instead? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? And they were like, no, my Lord, no, no. And so Jesus said, okay, well then if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give to those that ask? You know, God's fatherhood and God's care and love is on a whole different spectrum and scale and level than an earthly father or for that matter, an earthly husband or wife or best friend or sibling or anybody. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. So an issue is, People confess their problems to every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry, you know, to use that old expression. They, they talk about their problems to every person they can because, in my opinion, they get some sort of, like, gratification out of it because they want people to pity them. They want people to be sad for them. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so and what they're going through? And they like that. A lot of people like that. They don't want the answer to the problem. They just want people to feel sorry for them because they're insecure and they just want attention. That's where that comes from. It's not about they want something to be changed. Some people like their issue. You know, some people like their problem. Some people like generational curses. You know, you hear them preach and all they preach about is generational curses. Like, get over it, bro. Jesus broke the curse. You know, preaching dumb messages like, you know, how many know you can be saved but still be in a generational curse? What? Where is that in the Bible? Bible doesn't say you become a new human when you accept Christ Jesus. It says you become a new creature. 
The very nature of your blood changes. It's not about who your dad is anymore, your grandfather is, or if they had an alcohol problem or if they had cancer run through the family. And people just teach and all this like wacky stuff that discourages people, gets them in depression. No wonder suicide rates are skyrocketing. Preachers are in depression. Because all they preach about is negative. All they preach about is how excellent the devil is at what he does. Let me tell you something. God puts the devil to shame. They're not even in the same category. They're not even competing in the same division. Totally different level. You can't even compare the two because the gap is so massive. But you wouldn't know that from modern preaching. You'd think the devil is like equal with God. You know, people like that picture of the devil armless wrestling God like it's some struggle. Let me tell you something. It's not a struggle. Devil's defeated. All he has is something called lying and fear that he tries to instill in God's people. And that's what he's doing right now. People fall for the same trap. It's ridiculous. Like mouse to a you know a cheese tra trap every time hook line and sinker they buy it they fall into the trap of fear and they just go through this cycle of the devil taking the upper hand and the devil gaining a foothold and they allow the devil to steal what God's given them let me tell you something anything beneficial that you can receive from telling people your problems pales in comparison to if you brought that same problem to God in prayer Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to end I'm going to end here. 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to again just read one verse. Just one verse from 1 John 5. It's 1 John 5 verse 4. If you have notes or a Bible app or something you're listening while or you're going through while you're listening, this is 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. I want to show you something about faith. As we close this podcast up, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to read it again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Hallelujah. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Hallelujah. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. The victory that overcomes the world. What is the victory that overcomes the world. I might do a podcast on this next. What is the pot? What is, <laughs> what is the victory that overcomes the world? I'll tell you what it is. Plain English. First John five, four, our faith, faith, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Don't allow the tactic of the devil fear to steal what God has given to you. 
Faith possesses, faith guards, faith keeps, faith produces, and faith multiplies. Hallelujah. Faith doesn't lose, man. Faith is undefeated. (laughs) Faith won the greatest battle. Like I said, Jesus did a mighty work on the cross. But until you have faith to believe that it's for you, you'll never partake of any part of it. That's why people that don't have faith to be healed will never be healed. That's why people that don't have faith that God can heal them of mental disorders or brain diseases or things like that, they'll never receive it. That's why people that don't believe that God's a supplier and provider and that he can bless people financially will never receive it. And they'll live in poverty and in in a poverty mentality their whole life. Because even though Jesus made it available, faith is what brings it into reality and allows you to experience it. Faith possesses, faith guards, faith keeps, faith produces, and faith multiplies. How to keep what God gives you. How to not allow the enemy to steal what God's given you. Faith. Faith overcomes the world, man. Faith overcomes circumstance. Faith overcomes natural situations. Faith overcomes the giant. Faith closes the mouth of the lion. Faith makes the flames of the fiery furnace not touch you and just burn your shackles and your chains. Faith wins every time. Faith overcomes the world. Hallelujah. It's the victory. Faith is the victory. Faith makes you win. Faith makes it so you'll never lose again. Faith makes you undefeated because Jesus is undefeated. And I receive the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in me. The same word, hallelujah, is my confession. And if that's my confession, I'll see the same result. And let me tell you something, the result that Jesus saw was not defeat, but it was complete and total victory over the devil. And like I read, all power now has been granted unto you. Hallelujah. Well, that was Jesus. You are Jesus on the earth now. That's why you're a Christian. The word Christian literally means little Christ. Christ, I am Christian. What it means is you are the representation of Christ that the same things that Jesus said, that he said the same things that you see me do, ye shall do, and even greater works shall you do. That's what Jesus said. Well, that was Jesus. That was the Son of God. How many know that we're just worthless piles of garbage and that God can never use us and that we're just... You know, struggling through this earth and one day in heaven, it will all be worth. That's not the gospel. That's religion. That's religion. It might get you to heaven by the skin of your teeth, but you won't live in victory and abundance and overflow with a mentality like that. And you allow the devil to steal what God's given you, but that won't be your story in Jesus' name. You have the tools, you have the weapons, and you have the means to keep what God gives you so that he can multiply what's been given. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for the time I had with the people that are listening. I pray, God, that whatever it is that you've given to them, everything, God, that you've given to them, they'll keep 
that today through this podcast, or maybe it was just a reminder that they already know these things. But God, whatever it might be and wherever they are in their walk with you, I pray that everything you've given to them will stay in their possession in the mighty name of Jesus. That every tactic, every weapon, every spiritual adversary of darkness and evil, everything that's tried to raise up against them and take what's theirs, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus and I say faith will guard them all the days of their life and their confession will never conform to the pattern of this world. In the name of Jesus, I pray for all my friends today. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you once again for tuning into this podcast. Um, Be on the lookout for our website. It's coming, I promise. I know it's been a long, long time that I've been talking about it, but it's coming and it looks great. should be out in the next couple weeks. I'll post it on my social media when it's live and it's launched. It's going to be great. And uh, I want you to know I love you and that God loves you. And that everything that God's promised you this year will happen. It doesn't matter how these first, you know, eight months have gone. The final four and a half months that we have are going to be the greatest months you've ever had in the name of Jesus. I love you. God loves you. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast. To stay connected with Preston and for booking information, make sure to follow him on social media on Instagram and stay tuned for our upcoming ministry website. For more episodes, please subscribe and make sure to come back here every Friday for brand new weekly content.